morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to this next installment in our message series from the book of Exodus. Inside your bulletin, you'll find today's installment. It's entitled, uh, The Tent, God's Glory, and the Veil. And we're going to learn about a tent, God's glory, and a veil. Okay, so we're getting real creative here. But there are a lot of passages in your outline from Exodus, the 33rd and 34th chapter here, as well as a bunch of other references. So I'd love it if you could follow along. If you need a pen to fill in the blanks, just raise your hand. One of our ushers will be coming up and down the aisle, and they'll be glad to pass a pen to you so you can take some notes. We are in the part of Exodus where uh, Moses and the children of Israel camped at the base of Mount Sinai. The base of Mount Sinai is where God spoke to them from the top of the mountain. He had delivered them from slavery in Egypt after they'd been in slavery for hundreds of years. The Red Sea had been parted. They'd come safely across. At the base of Mount Sinai, God spoke to the Israelites and gave them the Ten Commandments out loud. And the first two were, you're not supposed to have any other gods besides me. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt and make no idols. He went on through the rest of the commandments and the people said, oh, we'll obey. It was a thundering voice that came from the top of Mount Sinai where the whole mountain shook like it was on fire, like a volcano. And the people of Israel said, Moses, you're our leader. You go up and talk to God. Don't leave us here. If we talk to God like this, we'll die. And so Moses went up the mountain and got copies of the Ten Commandments on stone tablets And while he was gone, for about a month and a half, the people forgot all about their commitment to the Lord. They made a golden calf, an idol, similar to the idols that their masters had worshipped back in Egypt. And they started bowing down to it and saying, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. And God was angry with them. He sent Moses down the mountain. And when Moses saw the calf, he smashed the tablets out of the Ten Commandments because people had been breaking the commandments already anyway. He took the golden calf and he ground it up into fine powder and mixed it in the water and made them drink it. And it was bitter and made them sick to their stomach. I want you to know how bitter this was to God that you turned your back on him. How could you do such a wicked thing? Month and a half and you've already turned your back on the Lord. Well, what happened next? How could the relationship continue? Now what? Well, that's where we are today. They're still at the base of Mount Sinai And Moses intercedes for the people and asks God to forgive them. And we learn a little bit more of how God restored the relationship. And there's a lot of insight, a lot of application for you and me, and how you and I are supposed to relate to God, how he wants us to relate to him. Would you pray with me, please? God, I thank you for this day. I thank you that we can learn another lesson from Exodus. I thank you for your word, Lord. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And Lord, I thank you for the example that Moses set for us. I pray that today, Lord, you teach us each something that we need to know about having a good and strong, long-lasting relationship with you based on trust. And so, Father, um, again, Lord, just move me out of the way. Say whatever you want said. In the name of Christ, I pray these things. Amen. Point one on your outline simply says this. Moses set up the tent of meeting where he and the Israelites could go and make requests, could make requests of the Lord. While they were camped there at the base of the mountain, Um, they had a place where people could go and pray. When he was at the top of the mountain, Moses received instructions on building a portable temple, a tabernacle that hadn't been built yet. And in the in-between time, Moses would set a tent up outside the camp where people could go and make requests to the Lord. It was outside the camp because it was in the camp where people had defiled themselves with this ridiculous golden calf idol thing. And it was deeply hurtful and angering to God. And so Moses would set up a tent outside the camp where people could go pray. 
Here's, a, here's what Exodus says about it. Now, it was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp, and everyone who wanted to make a request to the Lord would go to the tent of the meeting outside the camp. So it was kind of like a phone booth. Wow, did I just date myself there? It was kind of like an eight-track player, okay? No, it was kind of like a, it was a special place where you could go and meet with God. Uh, and you could talk to him there and make requests of him. And so people would go out there if they had a request of the Lord. But something was special whenever Moses would go out there to the tent. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As Moses went inside the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. That's how the people were guided through the wilderness. There would be a pillar of cloud that would move in front of them. It was a pillar representing God's presence and God's guidance. It would extend from the ground up into the sky. During the day, it was a pillar of cloud. During the night, it was a pillar of fire. and illuminate the whole camp so they didn't even have to be afraid of the dark. I mean, in days before electricity, this was amazing. But when Moses would go in, this pillar of cloud would come down and hover at the entrance of the tent while the Lord spoke with Moses. And when the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents because inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Out loud. Dear Lord, yes. <laughs> I mean, that would be something. He would talk to Moses out loud. He had a special relationship with him. And we learn from a couple of places in the Bible why this is so. And that's a note in your outline. It was because Moses trusted God to listen and God trusted Moses to obey. God, uh, Moses trusted God to listen, and God trusted Moses to obey. They would have conversations inside this tent of meeting. It was a tent for the, where Moses would go to meet with God. He would ask for direction, God would give it, and Moses would obey. In fact, in Numbers 12, we find the Lord speaking to Moses and his brother Aaron and his, Moses' sister Miriam, Aaron and Miriam, and grumbling about Moses, thinking he's taken on more credit than what is due, or he's too big for his britches, something like that. And they're grumbling and complaining about his leadership, thinking they were important in God's sight too, and God overheard them. And he told Moses to get his sister and his brother, and he was going to talk to them, and they all had a little talk. And here's what God said about Moses and his relationship with Moses to Moses' brother and sister. This is from Numbers 12. If there, are, if there were prophets among you, then I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams, but not with my servant Moses. Of all my house, he is the one I trust. And if you would circle that little phrase, he is the one I trust, speaking about Moses. I speak to him face to face, clearly, not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. Moses was someone God could trust. Moses trusted God to listen. God trusted Moses to obey. Would that be true for you and me? I mean, if we were to ask God and he would answer out loud, oh yeah, I can trust John. If I tell him to do something, he'd do it. I mean, when he told Moses, turn left, Moses went left. If he said, turn right, Moses went right. If he said, Moses, you stand stock still, Moses would stand stock still until the Lord said, move. Moses trusted God and God trusted Moses. All too often in our lives, it's like, well, now, wait a minute. I'm going to pray to God when I need a new job, but if God tells me to be satisfied with the job I have, well, hey, is there somebody else up there? I'm going to pray about my relationship with my sister, 
but not if I have to forgive her. Forget that nonsense. I mean, we don't want a God who's going to give us directions. We want a genie. And if I pray in Jesus' name or use the right formula, it's like rubbing the lamp. And now you've got to give me three wishes. Come on, God, hop to it. Let's go. I don't want to know what you want. I want you to do what I want. Well, what if I tell you to do this? Well, Lord, if it fits in my schedule, if it fits in my budget, if it fits in my plans, yeah, I might consider obeying. And that's not the kind of relationship he had with Moses at all. He could trust Moses. Can he trust me? Can he trust you? I mean, think about that. That's what you could write on Moses' tombstone. Here lies Moses. I trusted him. God. Finally, a man I could trust. And God is looking for people like that, for men and women who will obey him. There's a life application for you and me in this. Our relationship with God must be based on trust. Our relationship. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 3. Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. I mean, relationships are based on trust. You're not going to leave your kids with a babysitter you don't trust. I mean, you're not. You're not going to take your car to a mechanic you don't trust. I hope you won't. You're sure not going to eat a hot dog prepared by a butcher you don't trust. So now I'm going to obey a God I don't trust? I'm going to say, God, show me all the mysteries of the universe. Well, do you trust me? Well, not really, no. I'm not going to do it. I mean, everybody always wants to know, well, can I trust God to come through on this? Well, here's a question for you and me. Can God trust you and me to come through when it's our turn? I mean, what if he tells us point blank what to do? Are you willing to do it? It's not a question of gray. It's black and white. You know what to do. Are you going to do it or not? Well, I don't know. Well, I'd just say you don't trust him, and you you and I aren't trustworthy. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he'll show you which path to take. Solomon was the wisest man ever. Tried to figure out everything, and he hears what the wisest man ever, the smartest man to ever live, said, you're not going to be able to figure everything out. You better trust God. Don't trust your own understanding. Solomon couldn't even trust his own understanding, and he had more understanding than all of us put together. Yeah, you got to trust God. Jesus put it this way, you are my friends if you do what I command. Friends trust friends. And you and I have to make a decision sometime in our lives whether we're going to trust God or not and whether or not we're going to be trustworthy. Am I going to be a friend of God if I want a friendship relationship with God? Well, Moses was God's friend. Well, and God spoke to him like a friend speaks to a friend. I'd like God to speak to me that way. Well, make a commitment. Trust him. Obey him. And that's what God would say to you and me. I mean, over and over again in the Bible, a relationship with God, our relationship with God is compared to a relationship between a man and a woman. The church is the bride, the people who want a relationship with God, and Jesus is the groom, the bride and the groom. And at a wedding, people make vows to each other, and they say, I promise to love you and cherish you for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health till the day I die. I made this relationship with my wife. And this August is going to be 27 years ago. It would have been deeply troubling to me had we gotten up there. And I said, yeah, I'll do this. I'll honor you and cherish you no matter what. And she'd have got up there and gone, well, maybe. Maybe. 
I mean, all the friends are gathered here. Well, I'm not sure. Well, you're going to have to decide because I'm not putting this tux on again, okay? Now, look, you and I can make a decision. Sometime in our life, we're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to trust God with my life? Is he really smarter than I am or am I smarter than he is? And you and I can make that decision. You can make that decision today. Moses had made that decision. He was all in. If God said, go tell Pharaoh this, he went and told Pharaoh this. If God said, stretch out your rod and command the waters to part, that's what he did. Didn't know how it was going to work, just knew God was going to do it. And if God said it, he did it. Now, if you and I would come to a relationship like that with the Lord, who knows what God might be willing to reveal to us. And so in one of these conversations that Moses was having where he would talk out loud to the Lord, Exodus 33 goes on and says that Moses asked God to forgive the Israelites and travel with them because he valued God's presence above all else. Moses would have these conversations, and after the golden calf incident where the people had stirred up God's anger toward them to the place where he was ready to destroy them, Moses uh, interceded on their behalf and said, God, forgive them. And then would you please travel with me, because God was threatening not to go. He'd rescued them from slavery in Egypt and promised that he would take them up to the promised land, to the land of Israel, a land flowing with milk and honey. But now it was clear the people were stubborn and stiff-necked and weren't interested in having a right relationship with him. This is what it says in Exodus 33. Remember, this is a conversation between God and Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, get going, you and the people that you brought up from the land of Egypt. Go to the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'll send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites and everybody else, but I will not travel among you, for you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. And then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, then don't make us leave this place. And the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you and I know you by name. God said, Moses, I'll send an angel. He'll guide you to the promised land. Gabriel, Michael, why don't you guys take them to the promised land? Lord, you're not going to go with us? No. If I go with you, I'll probably kill you. (laughs) People are so stubborn and stiff-necked, I can't trust you. Well, Lord, if you're not going, then I'm not going either. I mean, now we're back to the marriage thing again. I mean, couples come to me, and they want to get married, and they're talking about getting married, and they say, how do you know if you're ready to get married? And the simple answer is this. You're ready to get married when you cannot live without the person. You don't marry somebody that you could tolerate. You marry somebody you can't live without. Because the vows are, remember, they're this way, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, for health and in sickness. And so when you put the ring on, you're saying, hey, look, I'd rather have life with you, even though it's going to have times when we're poorer and sicker and things are worse. I'd rather go through bad times with you than good times without you. I want you. And my wife and I, in these last 27 years, almost 27 years now, that's been the case. We've been through times of richer and poorer and sickness and health, better and worse. But I tell you, I would never want to go through life without her. I'm grateful for every day we have together. In fact, if I go to a restaurant when I'm traveling sometimes and it's good food that I know she'd like, it's only half as good because she's not there. And I get on the phone afterward and I tell her, oh, you would have loved eating here at this place. Because I want her there with me. You know, that's what God wants for you and me. Moses discovered this. He goes, he said, Moses, 
I'll send an angel. He'll drive out the people in front of you. You can have the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, lots of success, lots of blessing. And Moses goes, I don't want success and blessing, Lord. Not if it means I can't have you. I want you. And there's a life application for you and me in this. Our souls were designed by God to be satisfied only with God. And Moses discovered this. In the 1600s, there was a French mathematician and a philosopher, Blaise Pascal, probably the most brilliant man of his day, of his whole century, one of the brightest minds of the century for sure. He had an incredible conversion to Christianity. And he wrote about it. And one of the things he wrote uh, was profound. He said this, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person, and it can never be filled with any created thing. It can only be filled by God, made, made known to us through Jesus Christ. So there's a God-shaped vacuum. And you can try to put money in there, or fame in there, success in there, pleasure in there. You can put anything you try to put in there, and it will never satisfy because you and I were designed, our souls were designed in such a way, the only thing that would completely satisfy us is the presence of God himself. And Moses knew that. Moses, these people are stubborn and stiff-necked. You're up here for a month and a half. They're already bowing down to a golden calf. I'll send an angel because I don't trust myself around, them, myself around them. They're so stubborn. Lord, if you're not going with us, I'm not going. Okay, Moses, I like you. I'll go with you. I mean, would that describe a relationship with you and me? All too often in our selfish, materialistic culture, hey, God, I don't care if you go with me or not. Just give me the promotion. God, just let me win the lottery. God, just give me a husband, give me a bride, and then leave me alone. I don't want to read your Bible. I don't want to pray to you. I just want nice stuff. Leave me alone. Moses was going, "Mm, I don't care if we're going to the land of milk and honey at all. I'd rather live flowing with milk and honey. I'd rather live in the middle of the desert if I can have you. David said the same thing, Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I'll praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. For you satisfy me more than the richest feast, and I will praise you with songs of joy. Ah. That describes the kind of relationship God wants from us. I mean, describes the kind of relationship you want from your spouse if you're married. Do they want to be with you? They don't just want stuff from you. They want you. And God wants that kind of relationship with you and me. Now, do you want him or do you just want him to be a sugar daddy and he gives you stuff and then now go away for the next decade? Because all too often our prayers to God are just rip cords. Oh, God, help me. God, I made a mess of this. And the only time we cry out to him is when we need something. Never so much as a 10-second thought unless we're in trouble. 
The Lord wants so much more for you and me. So Moses would meet with God and he would have these conversations because he trusted God to listen and God trusted him to obey. I can trust Moses. One of those conversations, he said, Lord, I want you to forgive my people. The Lord said, okay. Lord, I want you to go with us. Moses, please, Lord. Okay. And then if you flip your outline over, Moses was two for two. He'd gotten forgiveness. God was going to go with him. Hey, I'm a, I hit the double. I hit the triple. Let's go for a home run. And Moses said, well, God, if I've really found favor with you and you really like me, like you're saying, could I see your face? And that's point three in your outline. Moses asked to see God's face. I'm talking to this pillar of cloud, and I know you're there. I hear your voice, but Lord, I'd like to see you. I'd like to see your glory. Moses responded, well, Lord, if I've found favor in your sight, then show me your glorious presence. And the Lord replied, I'll make all my goodness pass before you, and I'll call out my name, Yahweh, before you, but I will show mercy to any, for I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I'll show compassion to anyone I choose, but you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, look, stand near me on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I'll hide you in the crevice of the rock, and I'll cover you with my hand until I've passed by. And then I'll remove my hand and let you see me, see my back, let you see me from behind. But my face will not be seen. And then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. And he passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, Yahweh Adonai, or Jehovah Adonai, depending how you want to pronounce it. And the God of, I am the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. And Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and worshiped. God, I, I want a relationship with you more than anything else. Good, Moses. I want that too. Um, you found favor in my sight. Well, Lord, if that's the case, can I see you? I mean, if you're really going to go with us, can I see you? Well, Moses, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. You're a good kid. <laughs> I like you. But you can't handle it. Our physical bodies in this world aren't able to see God in all of his splendor and all of his power, all of his glory, all of his love and compassion and justice. It would simply overwhelm us. It would fry our circuits. And God says, Moses, you, you can't do that. I mean, I'm going to have to do a series sometime later this year where we focus on heaven. We don't think enough about heaven. One of the great benefits of heaven, eternal life with the Lord, is we're going to have brand new bodies where we can then see him as he is. But not yet. And Moses wasn't ready for that. He said, Moses, I love you. And I trust you. But you can't handle seeing me in all my glory. I mean, not this side of eternity. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you on this ledge right here. There's a little cave, a little cleft in the rock here. And I'm going to place my hand over the cave, and then I'm going to come down, and I'm going to pronounce my goodness and my glory as I walk by. I'll walk right in front of the opening where you're standing, and then I'm going to take my hand away, and I'll let you see my back. And that'll be about as much as you can handle. Because God is awesome. He is amazing. And when he did that, Moses fell to the ground and worshiped and could barely take it in. There's a life application for you and me in this. Jesus promised to reveal more of himself to us if we love and obey him. 
Here's the question. I mean, the basic question was, Moses said, Lord, I've, he found forgiveness for his people. God would go with him and his people. And he said, Lord, I want to see more of you. I want to know more of you. I just want to know you. What do you look like? I'm talking to a cloud here, Lord. What do you look like? Can I see your face? I want to know you more. I mean, would that again, would that ever describe you and me? Because we're so self-centered. The only time we come to God is when, hey, God, can you give me more? But if we ever ask, God, I want to know you more, I don't want anything from you today, Lord. I just want to sit in your presence. I want to understand you more. And now we're back to the trust thing again. John 14, 21. Jesus said, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them, and here it is, and reveal myself to each one of them. A biblical principle all throughout the Bible is this. If you're faithful with a little, then God will bless you with more. Oh, God, back to that lottery thing again. God, I want to win the lottery. You're not even balancing a checkbook when you're making 50000 a year. And we've all heard of people, they win $40 million, and three years later, they're flat broke. They weren't able to live on $50,000 and manage that. Why could they handle $50 million? God, I want to know the deep mysteries of the Bible. Well, how about this one? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Like I said, God, I want to know the deep mysteries of the Bible. Not that stuff. I want the deep stuff. Hey, how about before swimming in the deep end, you learn to swim in the shallow end? How about you obey what I've already told you? Lord, teach me calculus. Can you add two plus two? No. Let's start with two plus two. And if you and I want to know more of God, the Bible tells us he's wide open to that. He says, if you seek me, you'll find me. But here's the catch. I'm not going to just give you stuff that you're just going to trample it under, trample it in the mud. If you want insight, if you want wisdom, then obey what I give you, and then I'll give you more. This is an Old Testament concept, too. This is from Psalm 24. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those with hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence. I mean, I want to keep my hands clean, Lord. I don't want to tell lies. I want to seek you. I want a relationship with you more than anything else. Lord, if you're going to send us out of this place, I'm not even going. I don't want a promotion as bad as I want you. I don't want anything as bad as I want you. Lord, can I know more of you? Well, you've been pretty faithful in what I've given you so far. Yeah, why not? There's not an employer anywhere who's going to entrust more responsibility to an employee who won't even show up to work on time. If he did, you'd call him a fool. This guy isn't reliable. Why are you trusting him more? Why are you trusting her? And yet, we don't expect at least that much out of God? Now, if you and I want to know God more, we need to be obedient to what he's already told us. That's why, by the way, we read our Bibles every day and pray every day. That's why we want to get you in small groups so you can know God more. And the more we know of him and obey him, 
the more he'll give us, he'll reveal himself to us. Now, it's really interesting. The story winds up in a spectacular fashion here because after God had gotten these instructions, a new set of <clears throat> the Ten Commandments on tablets had been carved, etched with God's finger, and Moses was coming down the mountain, but he'd been in the presence of God's glory so long, he didn't realize how it impacted him. And this is point four. Spending time in God's presence caused Moses to radiate the glory of the Lord. And Moses didn't even realize it. He was in God's glorious presence. He'd asked to see God's glory. God's glory had passed right by him. And Moses had been just absorbing this. And so he comes down the mountain and something supernatural happens. Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. And he wasn't even aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. Think Chernobyl, Three Mile Island. Think, oh my goodness, radioactive. I mean, they, he was physically glowing. And they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them and he talked with them. And then all the people of Israel approached him and Moses gave them all the instructions that the Lord had given him on the top of the mountain, Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil but whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he'd remove the veil until he came out again. And then he'd give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him, and the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face. So he'd put the veil over his face until he returned to speak with the Lord, and obviously he'd take it off in the Lord's presence. He had to wear a veil, though, to keep the people from freaking out. God's glory was radiating from his face. And you go, well, John, that's interesting, but... You cannot tell me you have a life application for that, for you and me. I do. And you go, are you sure it's a good one? I am. Why? Because I didn't make it. The Apostle Paul did to the Corinthian Christians, to the Christians in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. And so this is one the Bible tells us. Here's how we can apply this story. And the life application would be this. God wants us to be filled with his spirit and radiate his glory to everyone around us. God wants us to radiate his glory. Here's what Paul wrote about this incident. Talking to Christians here, he said, we are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory and freak out, even though it was destined to fade away. For the Lord is the spirit and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. And Paul told those early Christians, he said, hey, look, we're going to be in God's presence too. When you come to Christ and ask Jesus to come into your heart, he really comes in. God places his Holy Spirit inside of us. And he's changing us every day from glory to glory so we can reflect God's glory better each and every time we surrender another part of our lives to him. As we surrender our temper and our tongue and our money and our relationships, and our fears, and our guilt, and our shame. Little by little, the Holy Spirit is working in us to surrender, so we can surrender our whole lives to him. And as this happens, then our countenance changes. Where we used to be angry all the time, all of a sudden people go, man, you sure smile a lot more. We might have been judgmental, or racist, or consumed with fear. And all of a sudden now, there's peace and joy and forgiveness 
And people who haven't seen you in a while go, wow, you look completely different. Can anybody verify what I'm saying here? You've met people who God has changed them so much you hardly recognize them? If, they, if that's the case, raise your hand high. God changes people from the inside out. And Paul says, hey, this is what God wants. When Moses would go into God's presence, he would absorb the glory and he'd be glowing. And because the people had not absorbed that glory, they were afraid of him. Ah, put a veil on Moses, cover it up. Paul says, that's where we're different. Because now we're not just walking into a tent where God's glory is. God's glory lives inside of us. His Holy Spirit lives inside of us and he's changing us. And we don't want to cover it with a veil. We want to let everybody see how different God has made us and how he's changed us into new people. This is what Jesus was talking about when he told his disciples to let their little light shine. Well, he didn't say it exactly like that, but Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so everyone will praise your heavenly Father. What God wants is he wants us to desire him like Moses did. He wants us to come to him like Moses did and say, God, I need forgiveness. And I want forgiveness on behalf of my people. And God, I want to see your face. And he wants us to say, God, I want you to fill me from the inside out so that your glory shines from me. If you meet someone who's been a Christian and surrendered their lives over and over again to the Lord's will for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, we call people like that saints. We say, oh man, they have the sweetest spirit. And when you sit and pray with them, you feel like you're right in God's presence yourself. When you hear them read the Bible, you go, okay, okay, that's the Bible. This person might be a new friend of mine, but they're an old friend of Jesus. And you can see it. I want to be like that. I want to be getting closer to Jesus every day. I want his love and his joy and his peace to come out of my life. I wish I could tell you I'm there yet, I'm still, I'm, but I'm not yet. I'm there right now, I'm not. But I'm working on it. Every day, I want to surrender a little bit more. And every year, God is chipping away at some things. He's working on you too. But God wants us to surrender to him. And he wants us to come to him like Moses did and say, Lord, if I've found favor in your sight, would you show me more of yourself? Sure, John. Will you surrender whatever I tell you to do? If you give me strength, I will. Deal? Deal. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I just thank you. We've been uh, talking about how the Israelites camped at Mount Sinai. And Lord, during that time there, you showed them what a relationship with you is supposed to be like. And God, forgive us for the times when we treat you like a sugar daddy or a genie. And the only thing we want from you is a new job or a new house. More money, more success. And Lord, we're not the least bit interested in knowing you at all. In fact, Lord, we just want to use you, get stuff, and get on with our plans. And oh God, I pray that you will forgive us for being so self-centered and selfish. I pray that instead, Lord, you remind us to cry out to you. 
God, I don't know you. And God, if I don't have your presence, I don't really care if I have a new car. And God, I desire you more than the richest feast. My whole body longs for you, Lord. And I don't care if people know me. I want them to know you. In just a moment of silence, if you haven't prayed lately that God would stir you up to desire him, if you have never prayed that God would give you a hunger and a thirst for him and his presence, would you do so now and say, God, give me a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Give me a desire to spend time with you. Lord, give me an unquenchable hunger to tear into your word and know it for myself. And God, fill me up so much with your presence that it's just obvious through the way I talk, through the way I treat others, that you've changed me. Oh God, I pray that you will shine out so much through me that it will be a surprise to me just like it was to Moses. People come up and go, do you know you've changed? I didn't even know. Oh God, I just want you to change us that much, that you're constantly working on us. Oh God, I thank you that we can gather for worship on this Sunday morning. I thank you that we can read your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit inside of us, filling us up. Please, Lord, let us cooperate with you. Give us the strength to obey what you tell us to do. Search us, O Lord, and see if there's anything that is wrong within us. Point it out so we can confess it to you and get rid of it. And lead us in the path of life everlasting. I pray these things in the marvelous name of Jesus, who makes all these things possible. In the strong name of Jesus, together we say, amen.